You can find your place in Psalm 4 and later on, Romans chapter 12, where we are looking. Now, if you've ever been at this conference before and remember anything that I've ever taught on, it'll be connected to this subject of solitude. I, I, I really enjoy this, teaching this, and let me say this the right way, attempting to learn to practice this. And it's an ongoing training for me. Boy, I tell you, I'll say more about that in a moment, but the Lord helped me uh, just a few days ago with that. But I wanted to point out, I, you know you've already put your hymn book up, but that verse number two is what's it's, it's describing the discipline of solitude. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be. Thy friends, in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Um, those of you that's come to the conference any time before, you know that I mention Henry now and a lot as we do this because he's, he's just so gifted. But uh, The Way of the Heart is, is an older book by Henry Nouwen, and the subtitle is Desert Spirituality and Contemporary Ministry. I think any pastor or minister, whether it's, uh, let me just say it like this, if you're in the people business, so if you're a teacher or you're working with people, we all have ministry to do, but, but this book is a great book to have in that. And, and why I think about it right now is he calls solitude the furnace of transformation. He mentions that in the book, that it's the furnace of transformation. And it, we, boy, I can get ahead of myself by saying we don't like that. We don't want to be anywhere where there's heat and pressure, right? That's human nature. And when you are learning to practice true solitude, you will understand what this means to be in the furnace of transformation. So Psalm 4 says, Hear me when I call, God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me, notice the language, when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing, Selah? But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Now that ought to be the desire of every one of our hearts right there. Now look at verse 4. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed. And be still, Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Here is a, the return from solitude. Lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. I, I really like Psalm 4 as a passage to learn about solitude. 
Let me read you two other verses. You can make note of these if you want to in your journal. Psalm 46.10, we read already this morning. That was part of our opening prayer. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know God. Now you can't get, I mean, there, there's, there's no simpler way to capture solitude than that statement right there. But let me give you one more, and we're going to do an exercise with this one in a moment. Psalm 62 and verse 5. Psalm 62 and verse 5. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. Blaise Pascal, who was just a, he was a Christian, he was a philosopher, a theologian. He's one of those guys that, he was in the 1600s, and they did everything back then by the time they were 20, okay? You know, these days you can't get a 40-year-old off the couch, but man, back then, by the time you were 20, you had traveled the world, you'd invented something, you'd written a book. And Blaise Pascal was certainly one of those people. But here's one of those kind of summary statements or philosophies of life. He said, I have discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact in that they cannot stay quietly in their own chambers. One of the things that I love about my reading of the monastic practices, I don't know, it's probably a strong word, but I, I covet for my own life, is their capacity to abide in the cell, they called it. Now, I would, I would come into a prison and I would just turn that place into a monastery. I'm telling them, boys be in trouble. But that's what every monk had. They had their cell, their room, where they were encouraged to go to many times during the day and to be alone with God. They lived with that practice of solitude. By the way, I thought about that. You were, uh, Brother Matthew was telling us of the downsizing of his wardrobe, and I'm, man, that's great, you know. Uh, I'm right there with you. That's about where I met with the numbers of things you were laying out. But I got to thinking about those monks who had one spare, you know, garment. And that was it. Just those practices of, of learning to live totally dependent upon God uh, with good reason and so forth. But anyway, great statement by Blaise Pascal. I've discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact in that they cannot stay quietly in their own chambers. But the spiritual discipline of solitude, I, I tell you, I claim this one to teach on, not because of my expertise in it, but because I have come to learn more and more just how essential it is to the spiritual life, to spiritual formation, and to actively walking with God. When we learn to practice solitude in our life at points during our day and during our week and at other times for extended periods of time in, in a year or a month, uh, we, we actually learn then how to abide in his presence throughout the course of a day. And, and that's something we just have to keep building and working on in our life because of one of the main problems with solitude, the distractions. And there are so many of those. There are many, of course, spiritual disciplines. We've been talking about several today, but 
I think the thing I would tell you is, and, and I, don't, I didn't even plan like a way to draw this out, but I, I would tell you that the center, if we are working on spiritual disciplines, so we have all the spiritual disciplines, okay? So let's just, let's just shoot a few up here. Um, we, we've already talked about uh, spiritual reading, okay? And we've talked about simplicity, and we will have celebration, fasting, worship, confession, and prayer. I won't take the time to do this, and I think you'll trust me, and some of you know this and are learning this like I am. But every one of these are tied to this practice of solitude. To get good at any of these will require learning how to practice solitude. Again, I, I, I don't have time. I have a lot of material already planned, but plus I don't want you to put me on the spot and me mess up and look bad. But I bet I could ask you to point to any one of those and say, Preacher, tell me how solitude is the hub or the center or the foundation of that practice. I believe I could do it. I believe I could do it. If, if in no other way, I want to I tell you that in terms of other spiritual, engage, spiritual disciplines of engagement, where we are actively engaging either with others uh, physically or with others in our spiritual reading, our ability to bring anything into the engagement will be because we have spent time alone with God. And, and so then the practices of being able to worship God or to pray, when we are distracted, we're not good at that. We can do it, but we can be like Peter on the water who says, Lord, save me, which is a good prayer in that moment. But it's more about, I'm in trouble, I need help, which is, I'm glad we can call on God in our distress, but we need to learn to abide with Him, okay? So it's in solitude, I'm practicing fasting by default. I mean, if you go to, so let me just say it like this way, if you go to solitude with your strawberry frappe, your solitude's going to be affected by that, is what I'm trying to say. So there's the practice of fasting, there's the practice of prayer. By the way, do you, you know one of, the, one of the coolest definitions of prayer? I, I'm going to mess this up, but I'm going to try to say it. This is absolutely a fantastic definition of prayer. It is to allow the Word of God to descend from the mind into the heart. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God comes, descends, and it enters into us, and it becomes flesh, it becomes our meat, it becomes the source of our spiritual life. I love that definition of prayers, the descent of the Word of God from my mind into my heart. So, I want to begin by sharing where and when solitude, I guess I've already begun, but where it became a reality to me, um, because I had always practiced the spiritual disciplines, I mean, since I've been following the Lord and, and, and in ministry and, and, and we're serving in church. I've practiced, you know, study and trying to pray and, and you know, of course, you know, being in church and worship and fellowship. But solitude, I, I, I don't know that I ever even would have put a name to it or certainly not understood it. Not, not to the way that I am I'm enjoying learning it now, but it was not that long ago. 2016, January 2016 as direct correlation to our life together, and I've told the story before, but I was in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. We were on a week-long training exercise. It's January at Fort Bragg, and it's pretty cold. 
And I remember the conditions. It was a foggy morning. It was cold. The wind was blowing. And we were, we were uh, I, was, I had spent that night, because I would move around to the different locations the, the soldiers were, and I'd spent that night at a place called OP-14, Observation Point 14. It's for field artillery training. And I'd spent the night there. And that morning early, I'd got up to go spend my time with the Lord. And I went up on the only hill I know of, <laughs> Fort Bragg. And I'm taught, when I say a hill, it's about this tall, okay? But it was, the, it was an elevated position. It's kind of a rock, like a barren rock area, and it had some pretty wild-looking trees around it. But, I mean, everybody else was down the hill away. And I went there that day, and I had so much going on inside of me about, God, what is going on with me? Where am I supposed to be? I, I just, you know, I'd already turned in my resignation packet to the Army, didn't know if God wanted me to pastor or do the evangelism. Lord, maybe I can be a monk. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that then. But I went that morning to seek the Lord, and I tell you, it was in the solitude of just being there in stillness with not knowing how to pray, but just presenting myself to God that I had, I don't know another way to say it, but I had one of the most amazing life-changing encounters with the presence of God that I'd ever had. And I understood something that day about what it is to actually encounter God in aloneness. And, I, and that was the introduction to what I would later learn to put words to, which is solitude. So Psalm 62, 5 again. I didn't ask you to turn there, but maybe look at it for just a moment. And I want to ask you to do something. This is a, just a short exercise we can do together. Psalm 62, 5 says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. If I were to ask you what are the key words of that psalm or that verse, what, what would you say? What are the key words to that verse? Anybody want to give me one? Soul. Okay, so the soul. What else would be a key word there? Weight, expectation, wonderful. This is turning into an English class, expectation. Now, the soul is certainly me. That's, that's my, who I am. Who else is there? I mean, God's there, but who else, was, who else would be there in this, in this condition, this situation? Nobody, right? So there's aloneness. So... Let me go ahead and, and word study a little bit to you. Soul, but let's think of this word, soul, right? S-O-L-E. So that's an important understanding to this thing. Now let's talk about this word, uh, wait. Wait. What does it say I'm waiting on? Read the whole phrase there. Only, right? Only upon God. Now this is important. We're talking about solitude. Let me get ahead of myself and say we're not talking about I mean, some people call it prayer time, I mean, their quiet time or their devotions, whatever you call that thing, which is a good thing that we should all be doing, and it is in and of itself spiritual discipline, whether you are calling it meditation or study, this ain't that. I, I don't want to hear from anybody that Brother Russell just gave me a list to read after during this. You see, that's an important distinction. And expectation, what, are the, what is it telling us? My expectation is... From him, right? Now, I am in this session reading to you from some good men that can teach us a lot. 
But in my solitude, I, I don't want these men with me. Now, I will come back, and I'm just talking about the way that I typically find this in a daily practice. Now, one, one good question would be, how do we do this on a regular basis, okay? But one, one way I would say that I do this on daily practice is first thing in the morning is a time of solitude. And my initial time is to be alone with God. Though I may have books I'm reading and devotional books I'm reading, and I do, but I don't go to those first. Those are left to the side, and it is just me to be presented to God alone. And I am looking for first thing in my day in, in this practice of solitude, I, my soul, is waiting only upon God, and I am expecting something from Him. So again, this is how solitude works in your life. Anytime you practice solitude, this is a discipline of abstinence in that I am pulling away so that then in my disciplines of engagement, whether it is my spiritual reading or my worship, when I have come back from the abstinence of solitude, I can engage with something to offer because I got something from Him. Okay? So this is important as we understand what solitude is. Isaiah 35, 1, our text chapter of the conference tells us, uh, it mentions the solitary place. Now, I like this. I'm not a Hebrew and Greek guy. I mean, I, I know how to look it up, right? But I don't speak it. The word for solitary place in Hebrews, or in, in Isaiah 35, 1, is the word, watch this, S-I-Y-A, okay? S-I-Y-A. Anybody want to take a shot at that? <laughs> Almost. Brother Charlie said, see ya. That's almost spot on. It's actually, so the way you'd say it is with the T-S sound, but the C, the C. And then the way you pronounce the second part is y'all. See y'all. I like that, right? Because when I'm going to solitude, that's the idea. I'm going to the solitary place and it's, hey, see y'all. I, 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 this isn't the time, Right? And I like that, that expression. What a neat word it is to say, I need nothing but God right now, so I'm gone. See y'all later. You know? But it's, it's the solitary place. The word means the parched, arid, desert land. So you've got to think, why does God use that so much in Scripture? Why is it constantly coming back to desert place for solitude? Because it is. I mean, you just start going down the Bible characters, and every one of them. Abraham and Moses and, and Paul and Jesus, everybody was called into these wilderness desert places for this transformation in their life. Again, the root word of solitary, soul, S-O-L-E. It is oneness and aloneness. So I want to read something. Here's one of the readings I want to do for you. Mostly just so you can get a sense of what these books have to offer, okay? Thomas Merton this is the book entitled Thoughts in Solitude. Listen to this. If you want to have a spiritual life, you must unify your life. Okay? I think about soul. I think about solidarity. Okay? If you want to have a spiritual life, you must unify your life. A life is either all spiritual or not spiritual at all. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what we've seen modeled. I mean, we've all had good models, don't get me wrong, but I mean, I mean seriously. 
How many of you, and I don't want to pick on things and I don't want to throw rocks and I don't want to be negative, but I want you to see that there's a reality to spiritual formation and spiritual life that we can go after. And it's freedom. But how many of you have gone to the meeting, the big meeting, right? Because that's the thing. We, we have been taught and trained in our world that if you really want God, man, go to the meeting. Go to that big meeting. There's going to be this singing group and this preacher and man, we'll meet with God. You go to that meeting, and it, it all has this, well, where's your water bottle, brother? Can I borrow the water bottle illustration? Yeah. It all has this appearance, doesn't it? It has all the church stuff on the outside, but as soon as it's over, if you were to uncap it, there's nothing there. By the time you're in the foyer, everybody's talking about the game, the politics, whatever, and, and, and it just blows the lid, the cover off of it. Merton said... If you, it, it, a life is either all spiritual or not spiritual at all. I, I, I tell you what, I, I want to I find a spiritual life. And I think perhaps it's precisely because solitude is so uncomfortable, which I'm going to talk about in a moment, that it's the one place that we can truly go to pull away from everything else in our lives, including other people, so that we can finally and absolutely be alone with God. When I think about why the desert, oh, by the way, that, that picture, you know, for those of you that was on the trip, that was from our mission trip last year. Remember that, standing up, looking across that desert, and there's that green track through the bottom of it. Boy, there's life there. There's a way through the wilderness. You never find that unless you go. And say, well, I'm all right. I'll just stay where I'm at. I mean, they got a Krispy Kreme over here, and I got... Dunkin' Donuts down there and, you know. But that's the problem. We're never going to find that. And that is the real. That is God. That is spiritual life, not the false life that has so crowded us and choked us from experiencing the things that Jesus showed us that life was supposed to be. So we won't that now i'm going to read from merton one more time but listen to what he says here he says the desert fathers believed that the wilderness had been created as supremely valuable in the eyes of god precisely because it had no value to men i mean who's going to go build starbucks right there right who's going to put up the next amc theater down in the bottom of that and god chose the wilderness because it because it had no value to men. He goes on, the wasteland was the land that could never be wasted by men because it offered them nothing. <laughs> the desert was the region in which the chosen people had wandered for 40 years, cared for by God alone. God's plan was that they should learn to love him in the wilderness. The desert was created simply to be itself, not to be transformed by men into something else so too the mountain and the sea. And when we look in the scriptures and we look in our own lives, where do we go? Now, I, I, I don't know, the, the mountains and the seas, men have found ways to, uh, to mess those up sometimes, but still the idea of that wild, natural place that speaks of the glory of God, that's what it calls us to. Now, look at Romans 12. As, as we, we want to kind of walk through sol solitude and how it works, 
I, I really give you nothing new today from what we taught last year except further uh, understanding and experience that I can bring to it. But the good thing about it is, is it's fairly a simple formula. Just doesn't mean that it's always easy to do. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we know the verses, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know what that reasonable service, the wording there means this is your true worship. This is how you truly worship God. Now I know worship comes in singing, but unless we give our bodies to the singing, it's not worship. You know, we used to talk about singing by letter, rare back and letter fly. And I know you can do that in the flesh and do that wrong, but I mean, really though, there's a sense in which that is true, like just, just to get into the song and to give ourselves over to the words and say that this is my thoughts of God to God, that's worship. But here is the, the first part of solitude. It's the entrance into solitude. It's the presentation of my whole self to God, Okay. That's an important, important point here, is the presentation of my whole self to God. So we'll just say presentation of myself. I didn't capitalize all the self there because usually when I do that in my own notes, I'm talking about my flesh. <laughs> but this is myself. I'm giving, presenting myself to God. Solitude is, is essentially the pushback against all the distractions in our life. The only way to escape them is to go into solitude. We must push against the distractions. Some of the, these distractions are ones we choose. Others are thrust upon us. It might be amusements in our life that we are, are after. It might be ambition in our life of trying to climb the ladder. Uh, it might be needy people in our life that, you know, we heard talked about uh, in Matthew's session. Matter of fact, both Charlie and Matthew touched on a number of these things that can affect us or keep us from this thing of solitude. It could be the chores and tasks that have to be done. So nothing I just described is necessarily bad or evil things. It is simply that there are many distractions in our life. And listen, there will always be something else to do. There will always be something else to do. But I am convinced that one of the great enemies of a truly spiritual life is our activity. And let me tell you something about myself you may not know. I am the worst one I know about this. Case in point, last night's service, I mean, you know, I, I have it in my mind, we can do all this in an hour and a half. Wrong! <laughs> you know? But we get busy, we get active, sometimes we feel that we must be productive, and so solitude doesn't seem like something that we should do. But I find that in my life, it's the only chance I have to fight this, is to practice solitude. We are too busy and too distracted, and I think sometimes we're in love with it because... Let's be honest, it's far easier to live in busyness and distraction than it is to live the opposite way, which is solitude and separation and silence. Because the dishes are still going to need to be washed and the, the yard still needs to be mowed, the TV needs to be watched, and there are legitimate things that have to be done that'll come our way, and it feels like we can't avoid them. But solitude, the purpose of it is to detach, there's that word, to detach the soul from that false world and to fully connect with the kingdom of God and to enter into that kingdom. You know, um, I've described for you before where our, our word distraction comes from, the Latin word distract, that D-I-S, we've had that last night as well or this morning one, but dis, uh, 
is, is to, to make, to come apart, tracked, to pull it out of its place. So to pull or tear something out of place, and it comes from an ancient torture uh, exercise where people would be strapped their four limbs to a horse, horses, and then they would be pulled apart. That's where the word distract comes from. And this is what we do to our minds all the time. We can't focus, we don't have singularity because we are distracted by all the different things that we give ourselves to. What's wonderful, and the question that was asked about the podcasting and all, and all that, and one thing that is so good is that when we are at least unifying our efforts uh, of what we're giving our mind to, like we're, we're uniting our heart to fear God's name, what's good is that if all the things that we do give ourselves to are actually bringing us down that one track, of loving God and knowing God, that's a good thing. That brings singularity into our, our life. So uh, we have to watch out for the distraction. Solitude, entering into it, we've got to present our whole selves to God. So there are things we have to leave out of that. And, and, and here's what happens. I know not everybody's a morning person. I'm still trying to sort that out. A lot of people, when they get up in the morning, instead of using that time, because I, I kind of feel like, it ain't true for everybody, I know, I kind of feel like for most people, that's, that's, that's probably your best time. That's before everything's gotten stirred up. But the problem is, is that rather than use that time where our minds are clear, or if you've awakened from, uh, you know, one of those nights where your heart's been heavy, maybe the dreams have been sort of on the side of what in the world. I mean, either way, I need God first thing, right? But what we'll often do is, well, we don't run for the morning paper anymore, but we do what? We pick up that phone. And by the time we've even made it to the kitchen, before we've had coffee or anything, our minds are already so frazzled and fried by all the goings on and the text that we received and uh, the news buzz and everything that's happening, we don't have solitude anymore. It's impossible to then enter into aloneness with God. Well, let me say it this way. It becomes extremely difficult to do it because we're carrying all that into it now. And so we have to find a way to leave that off. As was spoken of earlier, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I, I may know about everything. I may be aware of what's going on, but in the process I'm losing my soul and I am distracted and I'm not having life with God. And so what is the gain, the gain in that? So solitude has to be found in the desert, in the wilderness places. Um, by its very definition, it must be where we can be alone. So when you go to solitude, again, no phone, no books. This is not the time for reading. The only book that you will take to solitude, if you want to practice very pure solitude, the only book you would take, maybe two books, I guess, would be your Bible and your journal. Because God will speak to us through his word. Now, sometimes we don't even need to read his word in solitude. Sometimes, and this just happened to me very recently, sometimes we don't even, I have found on occasion I can't even pray. Like nothing comes. I don't have anything to say. And, and for me, a guy who think, thinks I need to be making it happen, I can get stressed about that. Until the Lord says, be still. And just know that I am God. Oh, boy, that just, that blesses me just to think about it right now. And what a thing to be able to just sit somewhere and do nothing. 
And just know, just know God. If he wants to speak, I'm listening. I can't think of anything I want to say right now, or at least nothing that seems to sound like it's not forced or I'm just trying to make a prayer. So I'm just going to sit here. Now, it really helps to be in the natural world to do that. Because all of a sudden, you've entered not only in, internally, but externally, you're in the kingdom of God. This is far more the kingdom of God than your living room is, right? I mean, you understand what I'm saying. To be away from all the distraction. To learn by much time, trial, and effort what it is to be spiritually minded, which is life and peace, and not carnally minded, which is always death. Okay? So, whenever and wherever you practice the discipline of entering solitude, always keep this in mind. We enter there first and foremost as that last paper we drew to be alone with God. To be alone with God. Alone with God. The moment anyone else comes into it or you invite anyone else into it, it is no longer solitude. Okay? And it can be something else. It can all of a sudden become fellowship or worship or prayer, you know, somebody, I, hey, let's pray about this, something, you know, and that's fine. By the way, that's why you got to get it while you can, because it's not something that's just there all the time. It's a seasonal fruit, you know, you got to get it while it's, it's like manna. It's like the manna that God would give the children of Israel every morning fresh, okay? So let's talk about the second part of it. I want to give you this word. I know we haven't used this one yet. Transformation. So what this is, we enter into solitude, but now we are talking about abiding in the solitude. And transformation happens because we hear from God. That's how transformation happens. If we think, and we'll be right if we do think this, if we think that entering into solitude is a struggle, and how many of you would say, yeah, that could be a struggle? This part is like full-on spiritual warfare. If you get there and you determine, I'm going to stay here, watch out. Paul said there were uh, fightings without, fears within. I was telling Brother Corey the other day, now at this place that I'm at in my life, and I think it's due largely to pastoring, and this is a good thing, what I'm about to say. It'll sound like a negative thing, but it's a good thing. I've actually learned a little bit more about what I think Paul was saying. He was talking about all the stuff that he's carrying all the time. The anxiety of dealing with the stuff on the outside that he wants to just shake his head on and say, what is wrong with these people? None of you, of course. And then the reality on the inside of, it's not the people, it's me. And I think that's what Paul was, con uh, he was learning and experiencing. Boy, I'm, I'm, I'm sure understanding that more now you know like no it's uh, uh, let's get back to the real problem here and let's deal with my heart and 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 in in solitude all that stuff begins to surface it, it just does i mean if it's if it's a problem in your life you might have forgot about it thought about it two days but the moment you try to enter into solitude you will it will it will jump on you you'll begin to think about the things that you need to do this day or tomorrow I went away last week uh, for two nights to spend some time in solitude to prepare for this, this conference. Now, let me tell you the irony of that. 
I was so worked up about the conference, I couldn't get myself in a place to work on the conference. You know? You enter into the solitude, and boy, that's where the battle begins. And it really does. The purpose of solitude, again, is that detachment of the soul from the false world so we can connect with God's kingdom. But if we abide there, that means staying there until my heart has come alive in the awareness of God and in an awareness that is more than intellectual. It's not just in a, a mental ascent to say, I know God's real, I know God's good, I know God blesses, but no, it's to enter into an awareness of God where my soul has come alive in that awareness of His kingdom, of His rule, of His his residence in me. So solitude is that place of transformation. It's the best chance for my old man to pass away and my new man to be born. It'll be in that place of solitude. What Paul describes in Ephesians 4, verses 20 through 24, he says, You have not so learned Christ, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Oh, boy, how true that is. Man, how true that is. That old man is corrupt. All those deceitful lusts. You want to know when you'll find the deceitful lust the most clear? When you try to go into solitude, but the flesh is in charge. But Paul says, we go there to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, to put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Let me just say again about what solitude is not. It's not simply privacy and quiet time. Okay, those are good things to have. Matter of fact, can I add another spiritual discipline up here? Rest. Rest is a spiritual discipline. Your whole being is connected. Your physical wellness is connected to your spiritual wellness. And so rest is definitely one that goes there. But rest is not solitude, though you may find rest in solitude. It's not a selfish place to be left alone, though you need to be alone. It's not the same thing, as I said earlier, as your devotions or your study time, though we need those and they will profit from our solitude. But it's a place and a time where I go to be alone with God and nothing or no one else to take my attention. Now, I've already been uh, saying these things, but I want to be more clear. Solitude will be opposed, okay? And I think, again, one of, the most, one of the reasons it's one of the most neglected disciplines is not only because it's a core discipline, but because it's a difficult one. It's hard. It's hard to learn. It will be opposed. Distraction keeps us occupied. It keeps us free from working with the stuff on the inside. And that stuff on the inside has to be dealt with. But it's easier just to turn the television on. Frankly, it's easier to turn on one of those radio programs or the, or the, the good Christian podcast. and just Because when I need to be dealing with what's going on in here, I can distract myself even with religious things. Not bad things, but they're not what I need in the moment. I need that solitude. The goal of solitude is to find the poverty in myself. That's the goal. I mean, it literally is to go into, a, in a sense, a battle. Because I need to shake off and shake out of self-sufficiency and self-preservation and self-indulgence. 
The struggle is about me becoming emptied of me and uninterested in anything but God. That's what I'm after in solitude. Now look, you'll come back from solitude and you'll need to mow the yard and wash the dishes and change a diaper or whatever. Go get the groceries. But boy, don't we need that solitude to get in there and really let God work. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've told you this before, but I want to highlight this. It is in the wilderness and solitude you will find sometimes the enemy. Now, it, it helps to just go ahead and know that. Jesus encountered Satan in the wilderness. After 40 days of fasting and praying, Satan comes and tempts him, and he had to do battle in his solitude. He, the enemy was found in the wilderness places. And sometimes the enemy will come in your wilderness place. A lot of times he will. Not necessarily always Satan or demonic spirits, most of the time, the enemy you're going to encounter in solitude, the big one is your flesh. It is ugly. It is ugly. And, and something that, that, that I've, I'm learning, the more committed you become to this and the deeper you invest in, into this getting into solitude and making that a, a real experience of, of life with God, the uglier, the nastier, the louder, and the more violent the flesh will oppose it. I read, the first time I read the stories of the Desert Fathers, I would read about St. Athanasius and St. Anthony and all these guys and how they went off into the desert and they left society behind and they went to just live with God. And, you know, I would read these stories about these things that would happen to them. St. Athanasius, I might be confusing which one it was, but living alone, and you would think, boy, if there's, that, that's a good thing, man. You get rid of everybody and all the temptations and all that. And, 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 and he would describe the fits and the evil spirits that would show up in his life so much that it would drive him sometimes to the point of running out of his cell, battling with, some pretty serious darkness. When I first read that, I thought, How do I, uh, what is that? I mean, that sounds a little kind of weird. I just want to tell you something. It ain't weird at all. It's reality. But God helps those and meets those who are seeking for him. Let me, just, uh, let me just say a couple of things about the opposition uh, and then, and then, and then I'll, I'll, I will come to the kind of the practical aspect of, of it to close. Solitude, just be aware, is a place to strengthen the spirit in the battle against the flesh. So if we talk about that battle and how the flesh is going to rise up, well, there's nowhere you're going to win victory over the flesh better than going into solitude. You will, when you'll come out of that battle stronger because if you never go into solitude, your flesh could have a, some free reign in your life you might not even recognize. Solitude calls it out. Solitude is like David stepping out there on the battlefield in front of Goliath and saying, okay, let's go. 
That's what solitude is. It is safer to be King Saul back here saying, Oh, you know, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Yeah, God's going to win the victory, you know. Yeah, you go do it. But solitude is me stepping onto that battlefield and saying, Okay, I've got to deal with this. This has to be dealt with. Else I'm living in fear. That's one of the things I wanted to say to you, that solitude does. It calls out the fears in our life. Fears of loneliness. Fears of being ignored or fears of being misunderstood. We don't like to be alone. And solitude uh, has something to do with that. Speaks to that. The fear of loneliness prevents us from entering into those deep places of the soul where we discover what matters the most. But, but think about this. When we fear loneliness, we become clingy people. Solitude is our, our way to fight back against that side of our flesh that is fearful of being alone. People that are fearful of being alone become clingy and demanding people. But solitude is the secret to a successful relationship. This is why it works in marriage, why it works in the church, why it works in any situation. That time we spend alone with God allows us to bring back something to the other. But when we do not do that, always fearing that we will be left alone, we cling. And when we feel like our needs are not met, clinging can turn to violence. Right? Some relationships spiral downward from emotional struggle to physical violence because they fear abandonment, they fear isolation. Solitude exposes our idols. Just think of Martha and Mary, Luke chapter 10. You've got Mary at the feet of Jesus. She's in solitude. How do I know she's in solitude? She's just locked in on Jesus. She ain't even paid attention to Martha. Martha's just, yeah, 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 yeah. Mary ain't paid her a bit of attention. Well, that's a good place to be. But what were the idols of Mary's life? Busyness. Well, I mean, Martha's life. Busyness. And, and, and I have to say, woe is me on that one. And, and then there's legalism. Look what I do and they aren't doing. You know, like the guy up at the, the temple. I fast twice a week. I give. I do. I'm not like this guy. You know, there's an idol. The idol of serving. The idol of serving. Aren't we supposed to serve? Yes, but sometimes our serving is all about ourselves. We do because we want people to like us. We want people to think well of us. And so our serving simply becomes an idol in our life. We're not doing it as unto the Lord. We're doing it as unto the self. And so much of the problem with our idols is, is that they can be clothed in Christianism, but they're not real. Mary had chosen the better part, which would not be taken from her. Solitude exposes our idols. Uh, let me say this, solitude is not isolation. And I would love to spend time on that. I don't have time to spend on it, but I want to say one thing here just to leave the point. Solitude is about being alone with God. Isolation is being alone with self. And when I go into isolation, the flesh will lead. This is why the Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. Right? 
How many of you, not show of hand, have gotten in trouble when you were alone in isolation? The flesh. Look, friend, I, we need to understand this. This is how it works. This is how this spiritual life works. It is dangerous for a man or a woman to be in isolation. The flesh will thrive in that because we were made for community. We were made for togetherness. But see, when I'm in solitude, I'm not alone. I'm with God, and, and the Spirit is the one that is in the lead as it follows the Spirit and the mind of the Lord. And so I, I need solitude, but I do not need isolation. So be careful about that. And, and let me just say this. Solitude is um, oftentimes, it, it will be uh, harder for extrovert people. Right? Extroverted people thrive off of interaction and talking and being in the crowd. And solitude seem easy for the introvert but the danger for the introverted person like myself is that isolation feels pretty good too I mean I don't want to stay there all the time but I don't mind being by myself I can easily slip into isolation because I'm good there I'm good there for a day or two maybe a week I won't push it much past that but that's not a good place to be you know but it, it, so the extrovert needs to work on isolation. I mean, solitude. The introverted person needs to make sure they guard against isolation, and they need to work on what Brother Corey's going to teach, which is celebration and getting with other people and doing things together. Just like, uh, yeah, this is, this is good enough. <laughs> yeah. All right. What does solitude look like? Um, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll stop right there because it's question time and uh, I had six principles to give you on that but Charlie took all my time we sort of did the exercise together and I, I'll just leave it with you to to maybe look at it again but I want to challenge you to begin to think about how to carve out time for God in solitude one of the things I said mornings best for me but the main point is, is something we talked about earlier when are you going to be the most free and least distracted for some of you, that will be at night. For some mothers with young babies, that might be whenever the baby's occupied with somebody else or taking a nap. And I know that could probably even be harder. I don't know how, how, good, how easy it is to schedule those things, but, but that's what you're looking for. But I want you to think about that as a, as a reflection to take with you from this session and, and to go back to Psalm 62 and verse 5. And to meditate on that, okay? Meditate on that psalm. Um, if you have a question that you've put down on a form and you want to turn that in, that will be helpful. And we'll try to answer those questions. And I'll ask the guys, if they will, to come and join up here again on the, uh, on the chairs. And we'll do question and answer time. Who has a question about solitude? How do you close out all the thoughts and things racing through your mind when you're trying to get into solitude? Oh, boy. Wow. So, again, we're talking about the spiritual warfare here, in, in a way. Um, and I think one of the things we have to learn with solitude is that it requires patience. And sometimes it requires a lot more waiting than we think we've got time for. But, but we just have to wait. We have to wait it out. Um, I can't think of a better illustration. Again, I'm, I'm going to go back to Henry Nowen. And you've heard me use this one in the conference before, but he talks about how when you go to be alone with God in solitude, 
that your mind becomes something like a banana tree full of monkeys jumping all over the place. But he says, in his, his explanation, he says, if you will stay there long enough and ignore the monkeys, they will eventually go away. And I think it's just the, the whole thing is that there has to be patience. There has to be an understanding that this is going to happen. Sometimes it's going to be worse than others, but I, I'm going to be there and I'm going to abide there until that stillness comes. And let me go ahead and just throw out there too, everything you can do to prevent it from getting worse matters. So in, in the morning or whenever, that's why I'm telling you, I don't, I don't know how you people do it in the middle of the day or at night, I mean, but in the morning, one of the things you don't want to do is invite the monkeys into the banana tree by waking up and the first thing you do is what? Grab your phone. So let's steal this practical, this practical advice from John Eldridge, but something that I've been practicing for, I don't know, two or three years now. Don't have your phone in your bedroom. That, I mean, right there is a way to keep some monkeys out of the banana tree. Just leave the phone somewhere else. Now, if your first thought was my first thought when I decided to do that, oh, man, that's my alarm clock. I mean, half the time I don't use an alarm clock anyway. And you know what my solution was? I went and bought an alarm clock. You know? So uh, my point is minimize it. Don't go turn the television on. Don't turn the radio on. Don't look at your phone. Just be still, be quiet, and stay in that solitude. Don't invite the monkeys in. Anybody else? Just something, too. The value, you mentioned taking, you might take your journal into your solitude with you. If it's a, if it's a thought like, oh, man, I was supposed to call so-and-so, or, oh, man, I need to remember to do that, you know, having just somewhere where you can write it down, that way you're capturing the thought. You're not worried about forgetting it, but it's like you can deal with it, and now, okay, I can, I can help clear that out of my mind so that I can get back into that, nothingness what, what you're trying to go through where my, my thoughts are clear my thoughts are, are dealt with because all these things running through my mind of stuff that I ought to be thinking about I can capture them then I can slide them to a side and I can get back to you know where I need to be I, I wanted to speak to that to say that that is something that is a good practice in your time of study or even just spiritual reading but I think if it helps fine but in your solitude or with your journal you probably don't want to write down don't forget milk in your journal and really you don't want to take a to-do list into your solitude either so I, I, I'm only simply saying if it helps you in graduating yes but I would say ultimately your goal is to completely be able to deny that from entrance into your solitude and say that's not important right now if I forget it I forget it but I mean that's that's difficult because it, it, it's almost like a catch-22 if I choose to write it down I think what happens is my mind my brain engages into the to-do list making mode I pull that that file gets pulled and I start creating more things more things will pop in my, let me go and add that to my list if I try to push it away and I'm not yet good at doing that then I might just sit there and dwell in it and get depressed and discouraged so you know you, you you've got to learn those things gradually as you go along anybody else what would you say to someone who says, hey, Pastor, I'll try it once and just didn't work? Yeah, every time you pick up a microphone, it dies. <laughs> he said, what would you say to someone who says, hey, I tried that once and uh, it didn't work? And I would say, you try that again. There's nothing more important than that. And you take the pressure off yourself. Um, there's a good question that was presented, and I think they're gone. Um, so I'll just kind of tie it in here. The question was about, you know, when, just spiritual reading. It was off the spiritual reading one, and, and 
the, qu the question was, I, I have a hard time doing that in the morning, so I always try to do it at night, but it's usually kind of late, and I'll try to read, but I don't get a lot read, and I have even fallen asleep praying. And so what I wanted to say to that was something that I think was alluded to earlier. If you only read in your Bible, if you read a, a verse, right? If you read a verse, and you took from that time that verse, and you meditate on that verse, that's good, you know? And I want to say, if you fall asleep praying, what better way to go to sleep? So I think a lot of times it comes back to the idea, it's on the sheet I handed out this morning, but we kind of get in our mind that spiritual disciplines are, are law, they're commands, and it's a legalistic thing, and we just have to remove that away. You know, if a person doesn't practice solitude, they're not, you know, they're not breaking God's commandment, they're just simply missing out. And so they have to just keep, go back and work at it again. I mean, it's like anything else in life. First time we tried to ride a bike or, you know, or feed ourselves, we, we probably had a lot of messes, but we kept at it. Anybody else? So the question is, is how often do you do this? Is it a daily thing, a weekly thing? And so for me, it is a daily thing, but the way that I make that work is it is generally my first 45 minutes to the hour of the day. And sometimes Athena interrupts it. Depends on what time we both get up, but, uh, but the thing, let me just say to that point, that is true what I just said, I mean, as far as like she will sometimes come into the place, because the last couple of years, maybe not two years, but last year plus, I've, I go to the kitchen table, and I never used to do that, but that's just where I go, and normally I'm up ahead of everybody, so there's solitude there, there's nothing going on, nobody around, but part of learning solitude is learning to do it even in the middle of a crowd, like I said about Mary. I think she was practicing solitude with Jesus in Luke chapter 10. But I think it also helps to have times where you can go away and do it in extended versions. Athena and I just went on our anniversary trip back in June, and we were together in that trip the whole time, but we found that place, each of us, for solitude and practice. I had the opportunity to practice extended solitude there because I left behind responsibilities and and distractions good or bad left a lot of those back and, and I think it's healthy to, to try to find some time I mean I, I've never done a three or four day retreat to a monastery but boy it sounds really good I just think it would be great I'd love to sink my teeth in that but I think it's important to schedule an extended block so a day a day you know uh, somewhere in your month and John Ortberg's book, by the way, if you get that book, The Life You've Always Wanted, he gives a sample of how to practice a day of solitude in there, and it's pretty good. Yes, I just let it transition. I, I just, and here's, so of the six things I was going to share with you, we're the, we're, how do you know when the solitude, so how do you know when the solitude's been successful? You know when you've heard from God. When you, when you have heard from God what he wanted you to understand, your solitude has been successful. And so in my two-day getaway last week, I'm going to be honest with you, I thought, I, this, I've blown this. This is a waste. I'm getting nothing out of this. I'm, not, I'm failing. But there were two points along the way that I, I recognized, okay, something actually is happening. Halfway through, I was on a hike the first, that, that, that morning, that next morning, 
And during that hike, I got some help from God in that solitude, and I walked away from that trip with a phrase I used the following Sunday, starve the flesh. And like that was from God, that helped me so. And then on the way home from that, I stopped in at Chick-fil-A, because you know that's a place to get holy. I stopped at Chick-fil-A in Elkin on my way back that morning, and I just went in there again feeling like, man, I didn't get near done what I wanted to do. But when I sat down at Chick-fil-A by myself in solitude in the Chick-fil-A, uh, it can be done. And I, I sat there with my Bible and my journal, and I, I got some, some clarity. Oh, wow, this actually, I was trying too hard. I was getting help. I just didn't see what was coming, but now I see it. So what I wanted to say to all that was, you know the solitude is, the way I transition out of the solitude is when I've captured in my journal what God has given me. When I've heard from God and, and I've captured that, that's my way, I will then close that and then I will go to um, reading something else. And, uh, you know, so that was a long answer. But I wanted to get all that in. See, I'm still getting my teaching in. What else? I was oh, going to ask um, what happened to the monk life and what actually were the negatives of living that kind of life and we're we're taught to seek solitude uh, to escape to get away to be alone with God and I'm trying to I keep going back to the monastery life the monk life and how what what happened to that kind of life and the downfalls of, if we say that's the correct word, living that kind of life? Yeah, that's a, that is an excellent question. Now, the answer to what happened to, like, the, the Desert Fathers, that era, 3rd and 4th century, is it, from everything I've read, it just gradually just kind of, it kind of ended. They, they, they passed off the scene over the course of those years, and I'm sorry you were still... Just to add on, um, are we to seek that kind of life? I know it says forsake not the assembling of yourselves, and that could be a response to that, but are, is it wrong for us to have a mindset to just spend our life alone with God? So the answer is to are we supposed to seek that kind of life? Yes and no. We are supposed to seek out how to live the principles that they modeled for us, I think. But I don't, it's kind of like Jesus said, there are some who can do this, some who can't. Paul said the same thing. There are some who can do this, some who can't. And I think there are some who are called to that kind of life uh, in a more strict way. And there are others who cannot, you know, couldn't live that way. And, and no, we're not all called to live that way, but we, we take from them the things that they were doing. And there's also some misunderstandings about monastery life and even among those early century guys. They did not live in isolation. Again, they, they lived in community. Now, there were a few, a very few from what I understand, that lived like for years and years totally solitary lives, not in any kind of community. But that was a very rare thing. Most of them lived in um, um, clusters of cells, and you know, they all had their own rooms, but they lived in the community. They worked together, they produced things, they gardened, um, and then they would go into the, uh, even monasteries today, you know, they will go into the community and sell the things they grow or that they make. They will receive guests. 
into their monasteries. So it's not a total isolation. They're not walled off behind and leaving the world completely out. But, uh, so yes, I, I think what we do is we seek to apply those principles into our life and live that kind of monastic life in a world that is squeezing us into its mold. So again, I, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, Romans 12, 2. I think the balance I found, brother, from Scripture, you know, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration, what was their response? Let's stay here. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in a retreat last week. I would have been happy to stay there. It was good. I mean, it was good. But what did Jesus say? Nope, we got to go. We got to go back off the mountain where the need is. And uh, I think the balance is we, we, we've got to find the solitude. We've got to find that alone time with God, the prayer, the meditation, the worship, uh, the fasting. But and I think it's important we keep hearing the morning, the morning, the morning. Once we have that time with God in the morning, after that it's time to go to the field. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I've patterned my ministry. And, and I'll be honest with you, I've tried going to the field and skip the, the solitude. That doesn't work. You know, it all works together. It's kind of where I found. Yeah, balance. and your answer reminds me to, to, I didn't give you this because time ran out, quote, quote. The third part is that return from the solitude, which is what he was just describing. And that's where we're manifesting the will of God in our lives. We are, we are then reflecting, you know, uh, what we have experienced with God. And that, that's that returning from solitude that's so important. And thank you for, for using that so I could, could say that. So that, that would be even the answer there. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, I think there's in a, a, it's in the heart of every believer. Man, it'd be good, just like the apostles said. Man, let's just build us a big monastery and all of us. We'll just keep this way of holiness meeting going on forever. Mm -hmm. but it's just not reality yeah yeah should prayer ever be involved in solitude or once you enter into prayer are you moving out of that oh, what a great question thank you excited about it so yes it should there is a sometimes misunderstanding that solitude is always total silence Silence is important in solitude because it is more important for me to hear than to be heard. But solitude is a time for communion with the Lord. So uh, one of the ways that, that you begin solitude most of the time is by presenting yourself to God in prayer. And it could be as simple as, Lord, I am here to consecrate my mind and my heart, my body and everything to you. I'm here, I need what you have for me. You know, something as simple as that. But then what I find a lot of times, it, it actually turns into some of the best praying because, remember, we, take our, we can take the Word of God to, to our solitude, and most of the time I do. You know, most of the time I'm going to have the Bible with me in my solitude because it's a way to hear from God. But I, I'm be reading Scripture, and all of a sudden I am beginning to have prayer rise inside of me from the reading of Scripture. 
And so I turn to that. I turn that reading, I turn that word from God into a word back to God by praying through that. And it'll cause us to think about things that we should commune with God over. So yes, sometimes no. Sometimes, uh, like I said earlier, there, there'll be times where praying just doesn't seem to fit what's going on. It's just like, be quiet. You know, you don't, there's nothing to say. Just be here. Just be here. Which in itself is an act of prayer. All right, anybody else? That's a good question. Really good questions. I'm going to ask this, the panel a question. Not necessarily related to solitude, but uh, you were given an assignment for this conference to teach on a spiritual discipline. If I had contacted you and said, hey, look, I just want you to teach on a discipline, any spiritual discipline that you would like to teach on, what would you have chosen and why? What would you have chosen and why, if you could have picked any spiritual discipline to teach on in this conference? I probably would have still, if, if given, you know, the list or even just, you know, hey, do some research on spiritual disciplines, I probably still would have chosen the one that I ended up am teaching of, of, of course, mine's kind of a hybrid, I guess, of worship and celebration. I know those can be kind of standalone disciplines or they can tie in together. Um, but just because celebration is not really referred to in, in a lot of spiritual discipline lists and as I've studied it I realized just how um, misapplied you know it is what we have we have a misunderstanding of what true celebration is and so um, I've enjoyed being able to study that one and so if, if I would have come across that one on a list or of an idea of different spiritual disciplines probably still would have grabbed that one because Worship is so important, and, and I've learned so much about genuine worship over the last couple of years through this conference, through other, through other venues, but then to be able to tack on and tie in celebration with that as well would have, would have probably still been my choice. All right. Anybody else? Well, for me, last year, I think was my favorite one that you gave me was uh, studying. Mm -hmm. uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I like I like explaining how I do it, and I, I hate that I didn't actually get to do a verse, a kind of example with how I do it in, the, in my own study, but I, I enjoy it so much, and uh, I don't know, just something about it, it kind of it, it appealed to me uh, to be able to do that. Okay. Did you have one? I know, kind of shocked to say this, but as far as something that, has helped me more than anything had to be fasting not definitely not that i'm an expert i'll just go ahead and say it i hate to fast <laughs> i despise fasting uh, it's hard it's difficult <clears throat> but i'll be honest with you out of all the disciplines uh, and i hate to use the word results god blesses it god mm. i i don't even know if i'm wording this correctly i've, I've told people before <clears throat> prayer moves the heart of God fasting moves the hand of God I've seen God do things in my life and in the life of others through through that and again I don't want I'm not saying it to be spiritual because I hate it I despise it it's hard but uh I have learned some things through it that's good. probably what I'd have yeah. chosen so we could almost have a whole new uh slate of topics slate. but uh, just mine real briefly would be would literally be 
uh, the, the spiritual discipline of silence. And that is because I need that. I need to work on that, which is weird because I tell you I like solitude and I don't mind being alone, and I'm very quiet. You'd be surprised how quiet I can be. But I need to learn how to be quiet in terms of allowing God to do some more and me to do less. And the practice of silence allows me to hear God more than be heard. And so I, I think that one has a lot of value, and I would love to spend some time on that one. So maybe it's preview to next conference. Fasting, silence, some more studying, and a lot of celebration. So we could get the fasting and the feasting going.